Good afternoon. This is a public hearing regarding pest management activities on city properties. The date is Wednesday, August 16th. The time is 12.08 p.m. Please note that the ringing of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please ensure your device is silenced. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 1-415-655-0001, entering access code 2661-043-4996, and entering the password SFGOV, that's S-F-G-O-V. Once connected, dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down any other devices. Alternatively, you may submit public comment by email to the Environment Department's Commission Affairs Officer at environment at sfgov.org. Comments submitted via email will be posted on the department's website and will be included as a part of the official public hearing file. My name is Kyle Wainer, Commission Affairs Officer at the San Francisco Environment Department. I am joined by my colleagues, Dr. Shoba Iyer, Integrated Pest Management Program Manager, and Gabriel Hernandez, Integrated Pest Management Program Assistant, um, also with the San Francisco Environment Department. Um, and welcome um, again this afternoon. With that, I think we can proceed to item two, presentation on, on current citywide integrated pest management IPM initiatives and pesticide use trends. The speakers are Dr. Shoba Iyer, Integrated Pest Management Program Manager and Gabriel Hernandez, Integrated Pest Management Program Assistant, San Francisco Environment Department. Shoba, the floor is yours. Wonderful, thank you, Kyle. Um, can we share the slides when you have a moment? Great, thank you. So hi everyone, welcome to our annual public hearing regarding pest management activities on San Francisco city owned properties in the 2022 calendar year. Next slide, please. There are currently two of us working on San Francisco Environment's Integrated Pest Management or IPM team. I want to give you a flavor of who we are. So uh, as Kyle mentioned, my name is Shoba Iyer and I'm the IPM program manager here at SFE. I began working in this role in the spring of 2022 and I'm in the position that Chris Geiger previously held for those of you who know him. And prior to joining SFE, I worked for about 10 years with the state of California in the Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment. Uh, my education and experience is in toxicology, which is the study of different chemicals in our environment and how exposure to them can be linked with adverse human health and environmental effects. And here in my role at SFE, um, I'm working on both IPM as well as our Buy Green program in which we work with city departments to choose greener, more sustainable options in different product categories. And today I'm very pleased to introduce my teammate, Gabriel Hernandez. Uh, Gabriel, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you Shoba for that intro. Hi everyone, my name is Gabriel Hernandez. Um, I'm currently, um, supporting the programs that Shoba just mentioned. I've been in this role for a couple of months now, so still newer. Um, and then prior to this role, I worked for SF Environments, the same department um, where I worked with residents in reducing their exposure to toxic chemicals. 
and I have a degree in environmental science from UCLA. Thanks, Shoba. Great. Thank you, Gabriel. It's been fantastic working with you these last couple of months. He's a wonderful addition to our IPM team. And uh, prior to bringing Gabriel on board, we had various staffing changes, both on our team as well as in our larger toxics reduction team. Um, for the first half of this year, I was the only one on our IPM team. And during that time, I really leaned on my awesome SFE colleagues, Hui Lei and Jesus Lozano, to help keep our core IPM activities going. And so you all know, I will also have one more program analyst joining my team this fall. I'm really looking forward to having a full team, which will mean that our bandwidth will increase and we'll have the capacity to continue building our relationships with San Francisco City departments and engaging further in IPM projects. So um, again, I'll welcome everyone for joining us today. Today's annual hearing is required by ordinance under Chapter 3 of San Francisco's Environment Code. And our hearing today provides a chance for San Francisco City Departments to communicate the details of their pest management work with the public. And it's also an opportunity for the public to communicate their comments and concerns about pesticide uh, management activities on San Francisco properties. Um, I also want to note for folks that the webpage announcing this public hearing has links to the meeting documents, including the slides that are being presented right now. So if you go to our website, sfenvironment.org, and click on the link at the top that says events, you'll see a link to this public hearing. You can click on that and access PDFs of the meeting documents there. Next slide, please. <laughs> So here I'm showing you our agenda for today's hearing. Uh, first, I'll provide you with a brief introduction to Integrated Pest Management, or IPM, and describe what our program has been up to over this last year. Uh, Gabriel will then describe a bit of the overall pesticide use trends on city properties in the 2022 calendar year, and then we'll have time for public comment. Then in our third agenda item, we'll have a chance to hear from representatives of city departments who either have been using what we consider the most restricted pesticides at some point in the 2022 year, um, or were granted exemptions from the usual restrictions on pesticides. And under the IPM ordinance, city departments are required to explain these actions at this public hearing. And then we'll have some time for a public comment on agenda item number three. And then we'll also have time for general public comment uh, as agenda item number four. And following that, we'll adjourn this hearing. Next slide, please. So let me provide an overview on integrated pest management or IPM. There are a lot of ways that we can manage what we consider to be pests. Pests can be organisms like invasive weeds, rodents, or flies, for example. They're organisms that we consider to be undesirable in a certain place. What I'm showing you here on this slide is the pyramid of the IPM decision-making process. And this is the process that we apply here in San Francisco. Um, this pyramid shows a hierarchy of approaches for managing pests. And you can see that at the foundation, is design and maintenance of landscapes and buildings. And this is how we can prevent pests in the first place. 
When we do need to implement controls, we prefer to implement physical mechanical controls that don't have disruptive effects on public health or ecosystems. And then going further up the pyramid, there may be biological controls that we can use. And one example of a biological control is pheromone traps for insects. So pheromones, for those who might be unaware, they're chemicals that insects release to communicate with each other. So pheromones can be used to bait sticky traps as a biological control for insects. And at the very top, you see chemical pesticides, which we consider to be a last resort. For situations where it's necessary to use chemical pesticides, we screen out the higher risk chemicals and restrict how they are used. Next slide, please. Our pest management practices emphasize prevention, which is at the base of this pyramid. There are a lot of buildings and landscapes where we can design the pests out or at least make the spaces a lot more resistant to pest infestations. Next slide, please. <clears throat> so I'd like to share with you some of the activities that our IPM team has been up to over the course of this past year since we last had a public hearing. Um, I did mention to you earlier that we've been understaffed and for a few months unstaffed, um, but there are some core activities that we've worked really hard to continue and carry out in spite of that. And one of those activities is our public IPM meeting series. Um, so these meetings we've been holding virtually on a mostly monthly basis. They're open to the public. Um, what I'm showing you here on the slide in the center is our sort of Brady Bunch visual of some participants from one of our meetings earlier this year. And what we do is we identify featured speakers um, to give a presentation during these meetings. Some of the topics we've heard about over this last year have included invasive plant management, habitat restoration and enhancement, the fundamentals of aquatic ecology and vector control. And these meetings really provide good forums for IPM professionals to trade tips and guidance on how to manage pest problems while limiting or avoiding the use of harmful pesticides. Next slide, please. We've also continued to convene annual IPM trainings for city departments. And you can see photos here from our trainings over the year for the Department of Public Works, Rec and Parks, and the Public Utilities Commission. And there are a variety of topics that are covered in these trainings. Um, really over the course of this last year, I've had a chance to attend these trainings for the first time myself, you know, as a newer employee at SFE. And so I heard sessions on managing different types of IVs. I heard a session on uh, tick prevention, as well as sessions on invasive weed control. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Um, we've also taken some opportunities to connect with our city colleagues in the field and learn in person about various pest management issues. Um, like I've mentioned, our IPM team here at SFE is quite new, so we really stand to learn a lot by stepping away from our office environment and learning from the folks who are applying IPM practices on city properties. Um, there are a couple photos here on the left of the slide um, where they're from a city IPM field trip that uh, my previous colleague Taya Jabot and I did with our colleagues 
uh, at PestTech, who are our citywide pest contractor. Um, it's a little hard to tell from the photos, but um, one of the spaces that we saw had rodent burrows that needed to be managed. We also got a chance to visit a Muni bus depot, which is where our city buses are serviced and maintained. I know it's hard to tell from this photo, but there's pigeon proofing all along the beams um, on top of the buses there, um, really intended to protect, you know, our buses and the folks who are working on servicing the buses from an area up at the top that actually makes for a really great pigeon home, um, as I learned. <clears throat> And then more recently, my teammate Gabriel and I visited our Rec and Parks colleagues at Harding Park, the golf course. We learned a lot about the pest issues there and golf course specific considerations, such as different grass types. And so I'm really looking forward to continuing these kinds of field trips and learning about the IPM work going on on city properties. Next slide, please. Great. Um, so here I'm showing you some of the requirements under the IPM ordinance. Again, IPM is defined as the use of all available methods in an integrated fashion to control pests or manage pests. And it's based on the identification and biology of the pest and considers chemical pesticide controls as a last resort. And our ordinance does require that the IPM approach is used in all pest control activities. It also provides restrictions on chemical pesticides, and that's captured in our reduced risk pesticide list, which is updated annually. And for more details on that, I invite you to attend the Commission on the Environment meeting, which will be on September 26th in the evening. And that's where the reduced risk pesticide list will be an agenda item. Um, as I mentioned, we update this list annually and we look for safer alternatives for each, each pest issue. The ordinance also allows for pesticide use exemptions from the reduced risk pesticide list for special circumstances. And that's where this hearing that we're in today comes in because any department that is granted an exemption has to explain it here. There are also requirements for advanced posting at the areas that are going to be treated with herbicides. We keep records of all pesticides used on city properties, and this includes compliance from both city departments as well as any contractors uh, working on city properties. And as I mentioned, the ordinance requires this annual public hearing. Um, I'll note that when I reflect on what I've learned about SF, the city of San Francisco and IPM practices here during this last year, I've been working with the department. I see that we prefer non-chemical methods of control and some examples that I've seen and learned about are hiring goats for weed control um, as, an, as an example. Uh, however, despite those kinds of efforts, there are some situations that can't be controlled by physical means. And one example of that is controlling poison oak along park trails where it can be a hazard for park users. There are also some steep slopes where it isn't possible to mechanically control invasive weeds. So herbicides may need to be used for habitat management in those cases. And in some areas, uh, it may be critical to kill a plant by the roots because it's jeopardizing the foundation to a structure or pipelines or dams. Next slide, please. 
I want to remind you that we screen every pesticide that is added to the reduced risk pesticide list. And the process that we use to do this is publicly available on our website. I have the link here on the slide. Um, if you access the PDF of these slides from the meeting documents on the web page for this hearing, you can click right on that link um, to find San Francisco's pesticide hazard screening protocol. We use tier rankings, tiers one, two, and three. Tier one pesticides are the highest hazard and usually the highest priority for replacement with a safer alternative. So these tiers help set our focus on which products to try and replace. Next slide, please. I'll now say a bit about pesticide exemptions. So exemption requests can be submitted to us by city departments asking to use a pesticide that is not on the reduced risk pesticide list. And although, um, so right now I have a slide here showing you the number of exemption requests we received in 2022. Um, I also want you to know that we don't really see the number of exemptions coming to us each year as a, metri a metric of success necessarily. And the reason is because if we have a very large number of exemptions coming in, we might think our reduced risk pesticide list may be too restrictive. And if we have a very small number of exemptions coming in, we might wonder if we're exercising enough caution in our reduced risk pesticide list of products. So in 2022, we received three regular exemption requests. We also received three trial use exemptions, which are often for new products that are being tested out to determine their efficacy in addressing a pest issue. And we received three emergency exemptions, which are for situations that are threats to public health or might otherwise lead to significant damage. And in total, we received nine exemption requests in 2022, which is actually the same number of exemption requests we received in 2021. So I'll pass the baton over to Gabriel now to speak a bit on our pesticide use trends data in our next slide. Cool. Thank you for that, Shoba. Um, so the following slides, post slide, will be displaying the pesticide data um, throughout the years. So this data is publicly available, so it's accessible on our SFE website. So if you just Google SF Environment IPM, you'll get to our website. And then if you click on pesticide use trends, it will link you to um, the dashboard that we have, which is a display of all this data. Um, and that is um, illustrated here on the screen where it's viewed the latest data here and just clicking on that here will get you to um, that data, as well as if you look in the, um, the meeting information documents, you can access it through this link on this slide here. So next slide, please, Kyle. Cool. So this slide is depicting um, pesticide use from 2010 to 2022. Um, so what you'll see here is the horizontal axis is the years, and then the vertical axis is the pounds of active ingredients. And then there's three different lines being displayed. So the green dotted line is tier three, um, as Shoba mentioned, which is our least hazardous. Then this sort of pinkish dotted line is tier two. And then this more solid um, purplish line is tier one. 
Um, and as you can see from 2010 to 22, there's been a substantial reduction in the tier one usage of pesticides. And then I will highlight for a tier one herbicides, um, we've seen a reduction about of about 98.7% from 2010 to 2022. And then just for comparing on the more recent years from 2021 to 2022, overall we're seeing a reduction in the pounds of active ingredient used. Um, another thing to note here on this slide is the tier three line. So as you can see, it is um, above the others. And that is because for a tier three pesticides, they're usually a food grade products um, like essential oils or soaps or microbials. Um, and it often takes a little bit larger amounts of the safer product to effectively control um, the pest and replace the use of a tier one product. So that's just an overview of um, the pesticide use. So that is the end of this agenda item. So now we will open it up to public comments. Thank you, Gabriel. And just one moment while we display the public comment instructions on the screen. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's your turn to speak. So again, the uh, telephone number, the access code, the password are all displayed on the screen. Uh, please be sure to dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. And we'll just pause for a moment to give participants any time to uh, join the speaker queue for their public comment on this item. And we'll display the instructions on the screen for just one more moment. Okay, and we have two callers in the queue. Hello, caller, you're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Yes, hello, my name is Dr. Ariane Eroy, and I just wanna remark how unnecessary and foolhardy the continued use of pesticides are on our public lands, which belong to everyone. They're part of the commons. It's part of a ploy to rid our um, public lands, our parks and such, and government properties of non-native plants. This is a vendetta at a time when we should be reorienting ourselves 180 degrees in a different di direction. All people can think about is their reactionary and idealistic populist ideas about what is right and let's harken back to the good old days. Let's make America white or bright or you know, these nativist ideas, which are very, very reactionary. I ask you to wake up, realize the urgency of the time, stop contaminating our soil, our food, our water, and posing a risk to anyone who might walk barefoot in the park or have a child who crawls around in the grass or a dog that walks in a remote place where there's no sign, even delimiting the pesticides, which will be there for years, even in the smallest amounts, they're considered poisonous. How dare you to consider that 
convenience and money-saving devices should allow you to risk the health of California residents and also anyone who works with these projects, products. You can be sued, you can lose tremendous amount of life and livelihood of people, and you can cost the city government tremendous amount of funding just because you choose to do something uh, to promote native plants. For shame, these plants and these trees belong to our community. They're our neighbors, and they show us what good neighborliness is. We beg of you to go in a different direction and start focusing on what can be saved and coming together, respecting the life of all species and their diversity coming from a place of love instead of a militaristic approach to our environment. I beg of you, time is running out for humanity and we have to, we have to think about things in a totally new way. I expect you to do so. I appreciate you. I've been a San Francisco resident since 1993 and I live in the in the Richmond district. Again, my name is Dr. Ariane Iroy. Thank you for your comment. We do have two additional callers in the queue. Hello, caller, you're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Anastasia Gilstern, your comments begin now. Oh, I, I couldn't connect. <laughs> I didn't know how to do it. Yeah, I just want to say that the herbicides the city using, if you don't want to use chemical methods, you don't need to use, you don't have to use chemical methods. Those chemicals are carcinogen and endocrine disruptive. You, you really, really, really don't need them. It's just plants. And if you can't put on the hazmat suits to, to, to spray herbicides, why can't you put on hazmat suits to get rid of this poison oak, which, I mean, people are allergic to. Uh, so people who don't want to use herbicides, like Marine County, cities in Marine County, uh, are not doing it. And they're moving, mo moving away from it more and more, and they're asking Caltran now not to spray uh, over there, just stop. Uh, what what you are doing is really not good at all. Uh, and the trends, like tier one herb pesticides greatly reduced, is because the triclopyr, for example, is moved from tier one to tier two. Uh, and I mean, it's the same chemical. Uh, it's just different, uh, you know, ingredient called inactive. Uh, the whole I always hear that San Francisco cannot do it because, like, city of Richmond is much smaller. It's easier for them to do. But you know, by know by now that the whole city, whole country of France, uh, stopped using pesticides in urban areas. It's definitely bigger than the city of San Francisco, and they can do it. So cities of San Francisco can do it too. Uh, and <laughs> um, I will just stop here. Thank you very much. And it's, I had great difficulties logging on. Oh, sorry. Thank you for your comment. And we do have an additional caller in the queue. Hello, caller. You're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Hello. 
My name is Susan Mullaney, and I am the vice president of our local chapter of the California Native Plant Society. We have a biodiversity problem in San Francisco because we have so many weeds and invasive species that have made it into all of our natural spaces and all of our remnant habitats. These species come from, you know, areas where they have all of their natural predators and natural competition. And when they get here, they don't have any of that. And they're, you know, the ones surviving here are more aggressive because they come from more competitive areas. And so we have, we're starting to get a monoculture of certain weeds that are taking out all of our native plants. I know someone who made lists of all the native plants on certain hillsides. And even though non-natives have not been planted there, several of the species of natives are gone now because of the weed problems we have in the city. The only way we can control these weeds are with herbicides. There are safe methods for applying herbicides. They need to be applied in areas that are not parks. They won't be a threat to people's dogs. They won't be a threat to humans, but we are having a crisis of biodiversity unless we can deploy more herbicides in the city. These essential oils that you mentioned earlier, they don't help. Industrial strength vinegar doesn't help. We have to use integrated pest management. And in this case, we do need herbicides because we are losing the remnant San Francisco habitats that remain. I have someone else with me who would like to make a comment. So I hope that you'll be able to reset the three minutes. Thank you. Can I speak now? Yes. Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Greg Gar, and I volunteer with the Natural Resources Division. Uh, we go out into the 32 uh, remnant natural areas of San Francisco and try to control uh, the weeds that are destroying the biodiversity of these remnants of the original landscape. And I think it's very important that Caller, um, I believe we lost your audio. Um, Susan Mullaney, the speaker who is with you, I believe we lost their audio for a moment. Um, however, we can continue the comment if you're connected again. Can you hear me now? We can hear you now. Yes. Okay. I'm going to hand him the phone again. Thank you. 
Did you uh, hear what I already said? I don't know. Um, all we, we lost your audio after about 30 seconds. Okay. Uh, I volunteer at the Natural Resources Division and the Native Plant Society. I also served uh, four years on the Park uh, Recreation Open Space Advisory Committee. So I really care about preserving the biodiversity of our natural areas here in San Francisco. And we need to use every tool in the toolbox. If we had thousands of volunteers, that would be one thing, but we don't. And the weeds are extremely aggressive. And the only way we can really control many of the most aggressive weeds is with selective use of herbicides. So uh, thank you very much. Thanks. Good. Thank you for your comment. And seeing no additional callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. And with that, we can proceed to item three, presentation by representatives from city departments that re requested pesticide exemptions or use pesticides on the most restricted list in calendar year 2022. The speakers are Shoba Iyer, Integrated Pest Management Program Manager, and Gabriel Hernandez, Integrated Pest Management Program Analyst, San Francisco Environment Department. We are also joined by representatives of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, San Francisco Department of Recreation and Parks, San Francisco Department of Public Works, San Francisco International Airport, Treasure Island Development Authority, and PestTech. The explanatory documents for this item are the staff memo and the summary of pesticide use exceptions granted for San Francisco city operations. Shoba? Cool, and I'll actually be taking this. Um, so Kyle, if we could get the slides back up on slide 14, please. Perfect. Thank you so much, Kyle. So yeah, as Kyle said, this will start the new agenda item. So we'll be hearing from city departments that requested a pesticide exemption or used a most, one of the most restricted pesticides. Um, and the, the graphs that we'll be displaying are tier one herbicide use. Um, and that is because there's been public interest in this data. So this is what will be displayed as well as tables of the exemption. So here displayed is data of the tier one herbicide use for San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, and this is for the use in the city. Um, so this is the central division, central distribution division of the PUC. Um, and as you can see, the graph shows a decline over the years. And from in the year 2022, um, zero pounds of active ingredient of a tier one herbicide reuse. So next slide, please. So the Public Utilities Commission in the city submitted two pesticide exemptions in 2022. Um, that information is here on the slide. You can also access um, this information by visiting the webpage for the public hearing, and you will see it in, that, in the meeting materials there. It'll have a PDF of the exemptions for 2022. So that's another way you can review it. So um, with this, I'm gonna hand it over to Jeanette Ray um, with the Public Utilities Commission to give a little overview. 
Good afternoon, all, and thank you for the opportunity to assist. This year, oh, no, last year, 2022, we did have the goats at the Summit Reservoir and they departed, but their fencing remained. So we had an immediate need to remove the poison oak because it's a high use public area. One of few sites that we have with no fencing. So I utilized the opportunity having the fencing in place to treat the poison oak for health to our pedestrians that enjoy the use of our summit reservoir. The other site was a site purchased for our city department. Redevelopment, thank you, Damien. It is a new site that is going to be demoed, but the demolition won't take place for some time and the vegetation can't be present. So the removal of the vegetation, we had crews in a lot of human workforce and the vegetation was still persistent. The pampas grass is always persistent. So I came in and utilized the habitat, which had been removed from the use list, but there is a product that we still use that has the active ingredient. So I was permitted an exemption. Thank you, Shoga. I've finished. Great. Thank you for that, Jeanette. Um, so next slide, please. Great. So next we'll go to the Public Utilities Commission, Alameda and Peninsula Watersheds. Um, the Peninsula wa Watershed submitted one pesticide exemption in 2022. So I'm going to turn it over to Kevin Woolen, who is with the PUC and is representing both the Peninsula and the Alameda Watersheds. Hello, uh, I'm, I can speak to uh, both watersheds for this uh, particular thing, and I'd like to just describe the watersheds, give uh, folks that aren't uh, familiar with them uh, a little background. Uh, there's approximately 67,000 acres of watershed lands that San Francisco Public Utility Commission uh, manages, uh, most of which uh, don't require any uh, you know, pest management at all, but, but in some areas uh, they do. We use uh, several techniques to reduce uh, herbicide use, and I would say, you know, from a, it's, it's, a, it's a oftentimes more pro pragmatic than choosing one plant or another. The reason why we do a lot of the control that we do is to prevent uh, creeks from flooding uh, from certain uh, species. Um, you know, fire fuel load reduction. There's a there's a lot more to it than than specifically uh, choosing. You know, an invasive plant over a native plant that is also part of, of of some of the sites that we do, but not not the sole reason for pest management. Just to be clear on that, uh, a lot of the things we use. If you can see the background on my um, uh, screen, that's sheep grazing uh, around infrastructure to do with uh, Calaveras Dam uh, to to keep the uh, fire hazard down around uh, some of our critical infrastructure. 
Uh, same thing on uh, the base of the dams, we use goats to graze that. And on the larger uh, 40,000 acres in the Alameda watershed, on the Alameda watershed, we would use cattle uh, to graze uh, that, keep biofuel loads down, and also for invasive species um, management. Um, these invasive species can also be problematic for fire fuel loads uh, because of the, some of the reasons that were talked about. They don't really have natural enemies or natural ways to control them. And uh, typically cattle will um, graze some of them, but not all of them. The ones that they don't, uh, we have to manage other ways. We oftentimes use you know, manual removal and some uh, herbicide use as well. Um, to, to further mitigate the problem, we use uh, techniques Call, uh, such as early detection, rapid response. Um, Charlie Starton, an intern on uh, the um, Peninsula Watershed, uh, took that initiative on and really fine-tuned it with uh, you know GIS mapping and tracking of treatment. Uh, according to her data that, that she sent me, uh, all except for one of those species were uh, we were able to control uh, with manual. Uh, or mechanical removal instead of herbicides. One uh, of, this, of these species, because of its tenacity and persistence, uh, required herbicide treatment. To speak to the uh, exemption that, that we see here, um, that's, uh, that is uh, for uh, protecting a, an endangered plant that only occurs on the peninsula watershed um, uh, particularly fountain thistle and uh, their grasses that grow and compete with it. Uh, so we needed a grass specific uh, herbicide to, to treat it. A couple of years of, the, of, the, of these treatments, then it'll go back to uh, monitoring and this kind of early detection rapid response approach, which would mean as soon as we see uh, uh, one of these grasses before it produces seed, get it out of the system. And, and early detection rapid response is, is really ab about managing propagules and seed seed bank uh, for these plants. Get rid of them before they're able to produce um, propagules, whether it be seed or uh, vegetative matter. Just take them out of the system. This approach um, is one of the primary uh, ways to reduce uh, herbicide use in the future and currently. Another approach that we've used is uh, along the uh, margins of reservoirs because those uh, levels were, uh, you know, are, are raised and lowered. Uh, that 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 area when when it's uh, barren is uh, an inroads for uh, different invasive plants. However, patience is is a, a, a virtue on re reducing or we don't use pesticides at all around the reservoirs. So. Uh, to, to, to manage these, we could do it with well-timed uh, working with the hydrologist to time the raising and lowering of the reservoirs whenever possible. Uh, this, this particular year with the um, rains that we had, the reservoirs are full. So that eliminated a lot of these uh, weedy species that grow in these disturbed areas. Um, on a final note, I would say that we are constantly assessing Risk and benefits um, to to uh, for for herbicide use, and and in some cases, uh, to to the point of some of the public speakers, we don't 
you know, we, we may not take action because it's just not an area uh, that it's threatening uh, an endangered plant or animal um, and, and or some of the other operations or critical infrastructure. Um, so, so that's another way that we just say, okay, well, there, there's really no reason to, to uh, take action on that particular plant. Either it's too widespread, therefore too high on the invasion curve to worry about or um, you know things of that nature don't, don't really cause us problems uh, so much because they grow at a time of the year where they're they're not really producing much fire fuel. Uh, and with that, I I guess I, I've kind of hit the highlights <laughs> for, for our um, invasive species uh, management. Cool. Thank you for that, Kevin. Um, so next, I'll turn it over to Joy Malera, who's with the PUC Hachachi Water and Power. Okay, great. And um, I'm not sure if I had any slides on this. Yeah, uh, no slide for for you. So just that we'll just leave that slide up. Um, but okay, feel free. Very good. So I am the right of way manager for Hachachi Water and Power, part of the SFPUC. Um, my responsibilities are maintaining lands from O'Shaughnessy Reservoir all the way down to um, Fremont and the Newark substation. Um, so a lot of my um, use for pesticides revolves around wildfire mitigation. Um, we use pesticides as the last resort um, using IVM methods to uh, reduce our pesticide use. Um, we are trying to shift from a reactionary management style like the other departments to more of a plan management style. Um, and we utilize strategies to change the current landscape to one that requires less management and maintenance and pesticide overuse um, over time. Uh, it's a long-term solution that will take a long time to do, but it is proving to um, be effective in reducing our herbicide use already. Uh, so last year in 2022, we did minimize our pesticide use in many different ways. Um, so some of the things we did was reevaluated all the areas of herbicide use, uh, created a GIS polygon layer, and are working to find alternate methods to control the vegetation for each area. Uh, we also went through a big training um, session with all of our staff to increase their um, knowledge on IVM and pesticide management. And we found projects around our system um, that we could mitigate the need for herbicide use. Um, so one of those projects we've been working on, um, a lot of the things I manage are the utility uh, right away. So transmission lines, distribution lines. So on the wood pole distribution line that we have a lot of in a uh, tier two and tier three high fire threat area, not to be mistaken with the pesticide um, tiers. But um, tier two and tier three are our highest areas of wildfire risk, uh, mainly up uh, Moccasin and O'Shaughnessy. So on our distribution system, we have what's called 4292 regulations, which is a um, public resource um, uh, regulation that we have to comply with. If a wood pole has non-exempt equipment on it, we have to keep a bare dirt, 10 foot wide, eight foot tall cylinder around those poles. We clear over 100 wood poles on our system and are like that. And in order to achieve the bare ground, we usually use a, a high tier herbicide for that. 
So that being one of our largest use of herbicides, um, we have targeted those poles. So we've, um, we've GIS mapped them. Um, and I've been working with the electrical division, uh, the linemen to find um, areas of highest priority to change the equipment out to exempt equipment that would not need to have this um, dirt perimeter around it. So we're targeting areas in our watersheds, high sensitive um, plant species areas, things like that. And we've begun to change this equipment out so we no longer have to maintain those poles like that. Um, some of the other things that we do, uh, I maintain um, moccasin camp and intake camp and other work camps for uh, Hetch Hetchy. Um, these landscapes have multiple homes, admin buildings, offices, things like that. And we have gardeners that maintain that landscape. Um, so we've been going to non-herbicide um, ways of maintaining um, the invasive plants and weeds in those areas. And some of that includes using black plastic. Uh, moccasin's really, really hot. So it works really well to um, help destroy the seed bank in those areas. And then we can mulch over and then um, yeah, use good plants that we want and maintain those instead of weeds. Um, the other thing that I'm working on uh, for next year is to actually hire a IVM specialist um, with a QAL that will help supervise all of our herbicide applications and they'll work with natural resources to help find solutions for areas where we use these high tier herbicides and hopefully get away from them even more in 2023. That's all I have, Shoba. Thank you. Great. Thank you for that, Joy. Um, and then next slide. Great. So here on this slide, you're seeing tier one herbicide use in natural areas and parks and facilities, not including golf courses. And you can see parks and facilities are reflected in the solid purple line and natural areas are reflected in the pink dotted line. Um, and again, you'll see there's been a decrease in tier one herbicide use in both of these categories by the Department of Recreation and Parks over the past few years. Uh, the Rec and Parks Department did not submit any pesticide use exemptions in 2022. Next slide, please. And from here, I'll ask Matt Pruitt, representing the Department of Recreation and Parks, to take it from here. Yeah. I think Shoba. Um... I am the senior IPM specialist for Rec and Parks Department, and we have a lot of varying um, types of pests, such as disease or weeds, um, rodents, um, insects, um, many different um, facilities, different types of um, areas where, where, where we have pests. Um, to speak about tier one herbicides, we, we now only use one tier one herbicide at this point. It's Roundup. It's very rare that we use it. Um, we use it in very um, specific situations where a systemic herbicide is needed. That's where herbicide gets in through the roots and through the uh, entirety of the plant. Uh, but it's not absorbed. The uniqueness about Roundup is it's not absorbed through the root system. It's not persistent in the soil like some of our other options, tier two options. So it minimizes collateral damage to our nearby plants uh, that we're trying to protect. Uh, and we, uh, such as like in the natural areas where we used it in 2022, or you used it on Himalayan blackberry on occasion, Algerian ivy, 
Uh, again, we, uh, if we do have to use an herbicide, we usually lean towards a lower tier um, when there's um, tolerance for collateral damage. Um, but generally, we, we mostly uh, physically use physical removal. Um, we use um, overseeding techniques. Uh, um, and uh, we try to uh, limit disturbances in, in, in those areas to um, minimize the, the need for, for, um, for herbicides. Moving on um, to uh, a fungicide, a tier one fungicide that we use this year is called Turney. And that's, um, we use that at Harding Park Golf Course. And we generally use um, cultural techniques, preventative techniques to um, eliminate possibilities of fungus. But in this case, there was um, some curative need for foliar fungus outbreaks on the putting greens, which, which would, uh, if we let go, would cause um, damage in, um, to the greens themselves. And, um, uh, remedy the the uh, use the intended use of the of the putting green surface um, uh, unplayable, and then we also use um, the other tier one herbicide use in, in 2022 was PT wasp freeze and suspend polyzone. Those are um, two um, insecticides that we use for yellow jacket nest removal. Um, when we do have a situation with yellow jacket nest where it poses um, public safety or a maintenance staff uh, put them at risk, um, that's when we will remove yellow jacket nests. We don't actually remove them. We don't seek them out to remove them, but when necessary, um, we do have to remove them. And sometimes we can remove them without using any kind of pesticides, but um, they all are all unique. And so sometimes we need to use um, these two different formulations, um, these two different formulations allow us two different delivery methods. And um, that way we can stay safe and keep the public safe as well. And uh, that's that's all I have, Shoma, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Okay, we can go to the next slide and I'll pass it over to you, Gabriel. Thank you. Great, so this slide here is showing um, the Department of Public Works Tier 1 herbicide use. I mean, as you can see over the years, it has substantially decreased. And I do want to highlight that for 2022, that they had no um, pounds of active ingredient of, of Tier 1 herbicides used. So they were able to accomplish all the work without, this pro without these products. Um, and they also did not submit any pesticide use exemptions in 2022. So with this, I'm going to hand it over to Deshelia Mixon to speak about DPW. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, uh, just uh, some of the things that, uh, just to highlight some of the things we've been doing in the last year, we've been doing more uh, manual manual uh, weeding and also uh, increasing our sheet mulching as well. Um, those are... Those are um, some of the practices that we have uh, used to keep our uh, herbicide usage down in the medians because those are the locations where we um, use herbicides. And also some of the things that we're going to be doing in the future as well, um, we're going to uh, our landscape division will be going to a 24 hour uh, operation to where we will have uh, uh, medium maintenance at night as well. 
in some of the areas that are hard for us to maintain during the day. Uh, and that staff will also not just be uh, assisting us with reducing our herbicide usage, but also reducing our uh, carbon footprint by using um, uh, ninety percent of the equipment will be um, battery operated as well. So, um, so that's a twofold for us, um, and that's basic. That's our basic uh, overview for uh, 20, 2023 um, herbicide usage as well. Great, thank you for that. And then next slide. Great. So here what you're seeing is uh, the San Francisco International Airport's use of tier one herbicides, um, what that's looked like since 2010. Um, you can see there's been an overall reduction in tier one herbicide use at the airport over the last few years with a slight uptick in 2022. I do want to note that the airport runways are subject to FAA regulations, meaning that they cannot have weeds in those areas. So the airport uses some herbicides in those areas to comply with FAA regulations. Uh, next slide, please. The airport submitted two pesticide exemptions for use in 2022, which you can see on this slide. And I'll ask Jeremy Harris, who's representing the airport, to take it from here. Yes, hello, thank you. Hi, my name's Jeremy. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm honored to speak on behalf of the IPM team and give a brief explanation about our sustainable practices at the San Francisco International Airport. Our IPM team strengthens SFO's mission to create an exceptional airport in service to our community. The integrated pest management approach prioritizes pest prevention by focusing on sanitation and establishing relationships with our tenants and employees to fortify teamwork and provide education on best practices. By considering environmental factors that contribute to pest infestations, the IPM team can focus on long-term prevention of pests by managing their ecosystems. This technique reduces the amount of pesticides used on airport property and surrounding communities, creating a healthier environment for the public and wildlife that we value. This IPM approach exchanges the short-term quick control and high chemical use for long-term pest prevention and a healthier airport and surrounding ecosystem. There are a few pesticides from the approved reduced pest risk pesticide list that are used by our staff in limited quantity when the pest threshold is reached and we're unable to maintain controllable levels with cultural, mechanical, or biological methods, as well as when worker safety is concerned. The tier one pesticides used in uh, 22 are top gun all-weather rodenticide bait blocks and Roundup custom herbicide. The top gun bait blocks are used in secure tamper-proof boxes in order to exclude non-target pests and they're necessary in order to manage the rodent population. The Roundup custom herbicide is used for vegetation management on the airfield in order to comply with FAA airfield safety regulations. And we are making an effort to reduce the amount of Roundup used and replacing it with lower risk tier two herbicides whenever possible. We've applied for exemptions of some of the Max Force products that you see there uh, that we have in backstock, and they've since been removed from the reduced risk pesticide list. 
these products are used to treat cockroaches and ants, and they're rotated with other products in order to reduce pesticide resistance. We've all but eliminated the pesticide usage in the landscaped areas at SFO. The gardeners are conscious in their landscape maintenance routines and regularly consult with the IPM team. They use regenerative techniques, including sheet mulching, steaming, flaming, and water conservation practices in order to keep weeds at a manageable level. And I'd like to close with a big thanks to Shoba and the San Francisco Department of Environment and express how proud I am of the work we do at SFO in order to provide a diverse, equitable, and safe environment in service to our community. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Cool. And then Kyle, if you could stop sharing his slides, we'll go on to our next speaker who does not have slides. Um, so next we'll hear an update from the Treasure Island Development Authority or TIDA. So TIDA did not submit any pesticide use exemptions in 2022. And I'm going to welcome Peter Somerville to speak. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Peter Somerville from the Treasure Island Development Authority uh, to speak about our pesticide application use in the past year. Um, just a very quick overview with, you know, TIDA responsible for the management of the parks, natural areas, public rights away and common areas on Treasure and Yerba Buena Islands. There will be changes in responsibilities on the island as uh, the city permanent streets are constructed and accepted and certain landscapes are transitioned over to the city. But for now, TIDA is responsible for the oversight of it all. Uh, we contract with Rubicon Landscaping as the master landscaper and natural areas manager for TI and YBI and Rubicon Landscaping does perform any of the herbicide application required uh, under the TIDA contract. Um, on Treasure Island proper, there is no pesticide application performed as per TIDA's landscape management standards. On Yerba Buena Island, uh, the vast majority of invasive species management in both landscaped areas and natural areas is performed using hand removal and small tool field techniques along with flaming, steaming, and sheet mulching in certain areas. TIDA has developed a list of pervasive invasive species that we target for priority control, which include, but isn't limited to, oxalis, French broom, mustard, Bermuda grass, fennel, eucalyptus, and acacia. With that said, TIDA does use pesticide application to manage three specific invasives on Yerba Buena Island, targeted application of Roundup for Bermuda grass, and stump painting and dabbing of previously Garland, which we have now switched over to Vastland for targeted stump painting and dabbing of eucalyptus and acacia re-sprouts. Um, in the coming year, along with the replacement of Garland, Haida is also looking at expecting much less first-time applications for stump dabbing than we did in the prior year. Uh, this past year shows a lot of use that was basically catching up on prior tree removal projects that had not included uh, the stump treatment, so there was a lot of kind of first time uh, use for that, uh, as well as looking to prioritize different techniques for the treatment of uh, Bermuda grass. You know, what we found is there's really no cost effective way to otherwise manage Bermuda grass systemically in certain areas of the island. But what we're looking to do is different application techniques where perhaps we treat the perimeter and create a firewall for the patch, prevent it from growing while not treating the entirety of the patch. Um, we're also going to be working with Rubicon Landscape on a pilot data project tracking their specific hours and costs dedicated to removing Oxalis as a hope to start developing better data capture and data analysis tools that can aid in Tida's IPM management going forward. Uh, thank you for your time. 
Thank you for that. And then Kyle, if we could get the slides back up. Great, thank you, Kyle. Um, so next we'll hear from Pestech, the citywide pest contractor. Uh, Pestech submitted four pesticide use exemptions for 2022. And I know the Font is very small in here, but again, I'll remind folks that you can access um, these exemptions as an attachment in the meeting materials available on the meeting webpage. Uh, I'll turn it over now to Luis Agurto with Pestech. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Luis. I'm the CEO of Pestech. Uh, Pestech is a local business enterprise uh, based here in San Francisco. We'll be celebrating our 38th year uh, this year uh, of existence. We uh, are a structural pest management company. So the pests that we are most concerned with are uh, public health related pests like rats and mice, but also pigeons, mosquitoes. Uh, and we do uh, take care of some infrastructure destructive pests like ground squirrels as well for different um, city agencies. Uh, the exemptions that we had requested uh, in 2022 were uh, pilot use exemptions mostly, except for the last one. Uh, where we were dealing with some uh, persistent pesky uh, pest problems that non-chemical measures were not uh, were insufficient to manage them. The first one was for uh, Academy of Science. Uh, this was to use a product called Termidor. It was a novel approach that we had um, proposed to the facility. Um, we received the exemption. Uh, in the end, we did not end up using the product in the way that we had intended uh, as the additional cost of the service uh, was was too much for the uh, facility at the time. Uh, the second one uh, was Ecologic. This is a, a botanical oil granule that we had some success in managing uh, around beehives for ants. Uh, ultimately, the product wasn't used by our staff. They got control using existing baits, uh, but this is a product that we may ask to be added to the list uh, in the future. Um, the next one was uh, for the birds. This is a a uh, non-toxic gel that's applied to ledges to keep uh, birds from landing on them. Uh, we used this as in a temporary, um, it was on a temporary basis as we were installing non-chemical um, deterrents for pigeons around the Union Square um, new uh, subway station uh, entrance. Uh, it was used on some temporary fencing that was there and that was removed and uh, it's not a preferred product of ours, but it's something that we had in stock and we needed to use uh, right away. The last one is uh, was an exemption for a PT Alpine pressurized flybait. This is a, a spray on a flybait to be used uh, for control of flies. Uh, in this case, we were using it for the control of fruit flies. It was a very specific need uh, that we had in the uh, memory care section at Laguna Honda Hospital where um, we had patients that uh, were hoarding uh, materials and, and foods that were creating fly problems. Um, as much as uh, the staff are trying to manage that issue, uh, it's a recurrent issue and uh, we needed to have some different spot treatments to control these uh, flies so that we don't create a, a greater uh, health risk uh, for those patients. Um, this year, uh, just to give you an update on things that we're working on right now, we are celebrating the award of a, a grant from the state of California for the expansion of pest prevention by design practices. Uh, it was a grant that was awarded to the Department of the Environment, uh, but we are on the management team and we're very excited to uh, provide training to uh, developers, 
uh, and building managers on how they can prevent pests in their buildings and keep them safe for long periods of time from pests. Uh, we're also working on uh, smart traps for rodent control. Uh, this is uh, some new technology that's available in the marketplace that we're still evaluating. The cost of it is very high. Uh, it's, uh, you know, in terms of connectivity and hardware, but it's uh, something that we're excited about and we hope to uh, expand further in San Francisco to help manage uh, rodents around the city. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Luis. Um, and that is our last uh, update here. So I want to say thank you to all of the department representatives for explaining your work today. Um, I appreciate what I'm learning from you and your efforts and your dedication to integrated pest management. Um, and I have this closing slide here. Um, as I mentioned to folks, um, you know, we have our mostly monthly meeting series that is open to the public. If you're interested in learning some more about that, you can feel free to reach our SFE IPM team at the email address here. That's env-ipm at sfgov.org and emails sent to that address will reach both Gabriel and myself. Um, so thank you. This is the end of this agenda item, so I'll pass it back over to you, Kyle, for public comment. Thank you, Shoba. Just one moment while we pull up the instructions for public comment for this item. Okay, members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Just a reminder, this is public comment for item three. There will be an additional opportunity for general public comment. That's item four in the agenda. And we'll pause for a moment to give any participants who wish to speak time to join the speaker queue. And we'll leave the instructions on the screen just for one more moment. And we do have one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, you're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Uh, thank you. I just want to make a very short notice about Sunset Boulevard. It's DPW. And I usually don't know, it's just because of the article I read, I usually don't know what DPW is doing. But it turns out they sprayed like 20% of herbicides they used were used on Sunset Boulevard median. And the reason for it is, again, as a blessed native plants. Like uh, you plant them, they die. They, those little flats might survive for a little bit. Uh, the plants die. And after that, uh, the boulevard in the median has succulents and dead vegetation and uh, this uh, Foxtail things is growing and it cannot be mowed because succulents are planted there too. So it's spraying. And there is no notification because it's the center median. And it's 20% of everything DPW used is on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, no, no signs 
because it's a median. Okay, so people have no idea what's going on. Uh, and let me just shortly say what native plants are. Those are the plants which allegedly have grown in one place at some arbitrarily selected point of time. They mostly cannot grow there anymore. They're planted, they die. And, you know, there are foxtails instead. Um, and you can't, you can't maintain it. It's just impossible. Uh, the median on 19th Avenue, which is planted in such ways that weeds cannot grow there, is not sprayed at all. So why plant those things? Uh, they're not better for anything. Uh, they don't provide for any more biodiversity than non-native plants are. And I heard comments in different meetings when I was attending millions of those meetings, like volunteers were saying, can Arakan Park please look at what can grow, what can grow, because we work, we work hard, and it all dies. So cannot be there a notice that this thing cannot grow there, don't plant it there, and then there is no need to spray. Uh, thank you very much. And also, this native areas, biodiversity, it's all complete nonsense. It just the plants which some people want to grow there, plant them in small plots in your backyard when you can give this enormous amount of tape for gardening them because they are not nature. They not grow on their own. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your comment. And seeing no additional callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. And with that, we can proceed to our next item. This is item four, general public comment. Members of the public may speak on matters that are relevant to pest management on city properties or properties leased from the city, but are not on today's agenda. So just one moment while I pull up the instructions one more time. Okay, once again, members of the public who wish to make a public comment for item four should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's your turn to speak. And we'll leave the instructions up for just one moment before we check the speaker queue. Okay, we do have one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, you're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Uh, thank you. Uh, me again, Anastasia Glickstern, and uh, uh, I want to talk about the subject dear to me, uh, to some people who talked before. Uh, it's biodiversity, okay? So all these very toxic pesticides herbicides are used in the name of biodiversity. They are presumably tools on the toolbox, not the things which go into the soil and water and poison all of us. Um, and the more you spray, the more natural the area becomes. Like uh, natural areas use six times more 
herbicides for punitive lands and non-natural areas. So the more you use the chemicals, the more natural it is. Now, uh, biodiversity. Um, there was this guy called Alexander Van Gumbel, I probably mispronounced his name, and I heard the show on Science Friday about expedition, um, about generally it was the book called Inv Invasion of Na Na Nature, and it, it, they mentioned the expedition to Ecuador, uh, the volcano, uh, where everything was documented as the expedition was taken taking place and 210 years later another expedition following the steps also documented everything that was growing there and they find out that the vegetation everything documented was moved up the mountain about 500 meters so those things they just cannot grow where they used to grow and using herbicides presumably to help those plants is no good. You probably saw it was just last year when EPA, because of the lawsuit, evaluated the effects of three uh, herbicides, glyphosate, uh, atrazine, isimazine, which two, two others San Francisco doesn't use, but it started using glyphosate again more and more. And it was determined that glyphosate in particular damaged uh, plants, endangered and sensitive plants and, uh, and animals in 99, 93%, 93% of endangered plants and animals are actually not helped, but hurt by these herbicides. And you can bet safely that other chemicals do the same. Like, it hurts you. It hurts the plants, it hurts the animal, it hurts people. And it doesn't help, it's not a tool and toolbox. It shouldn't be used. And you can consult people who manage things without herbicides and learn from them. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. We do have two additional callers in the queue. Hello, caller, Hello, you're caller. unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Hello. This is Susan Mullaney. I'm the vice president of our local chapter of the California Native Plant Society. I'm calling, I'd like to thank all of the panelists who are working to um, help with the pests, especially the, the plant pests. I was glad to see how much herbicides you guys have been able to use. Um, speaking of Sunset Boulevard, the California Native Plant Society has been working with the Department of Public Works to create habitat at four intersections at 37th, 36th, Sunset, I mean, Santiago and Terravel. And we've been planting native plants and it looks great. Um, there is going to be a work day this coming Saturday if anyone would like to attend and help with the habitat. The plants are doing great. We're seeing a lot of butterflies, a lot of native bees, a lot of birds are there. Um, the native plants do great because they're in their native soil and their native climate where they belong. Also, the California Native Plant Society 
has been propagating plants native to San Francisco and giving them away for free to nonprofits and public gardens and open spaces. In the past three years, we've given away 4,000 plants native to San Francisco. Um, I know that it's tricky to source native plants, and so um, I don't have a solution. I wish I did, and I do know that that the PUC has a native plant nursery in the East Bay. Um, and I know that DPW has the native tree nursery south of market. I think that's great. Um, I, you know, if we could grow more plants for you, we would. And that is something we have a, we have enthusiastic volunteers growing native plants and giving them away. And we'll be planting more on Sunset Boulevard. If anyone listening to this would like to go and check out the native plants and how successful they are and how much habitat they've created. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. And we may have one additional caller in the queue. Hello, caller. You're muted. Your three minutes begin now. Um, this may have been the same commenter we just heard from Susan Mullaney. Can you just confirm? Okay, it appears that was the previous commenter. See no additional callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. And with that, we can proceed to our final item on our agenda. This is item five, adjournment. Today's public hearing is adjourned. The time is 1.29 p.m. Um, for those who tuned in from the public, thank you very much for joining us. For those who spoke up during public comment, thank you for your comments. And thank you especially for today's presenters and for the Environment Department team who helped put today's public hearing together. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.